0: Pet Care Rockstars is brought to you by.
1: Do you have a pet care business but need a website? Well, look no further than the Pet Care Rockstars website solution. We can deliver to you a fast-loading, mobile-optimized website that's also SEO friendly. Your customers will love our websites, and you'll love the affordability. We'll also give you all the tools you need to easily maintain your website, even if you have little technical knowledge. Go to PetCareRockstars.com/slash/websites now. To get more information,
2: welcome to Pet Care Rockstars. Solid advice you can implement into your own pet care business today, whether you're just starting out, getting ready to grow, or ready to scale. You'll hear firsthand from pet care rockstars who've been down this path before, including what worked, what didn't, and some tools you'll need for your awesome journey. Now, the host of Pet Care Rockstars, Dave Westwood.
1: My guest today is the head of C4P Animal Rescue, which is an animal advocacy network connecting animal-loving citizens all across Canada. Uh, The C4P network promotes rescues, fosters and adoptions, keeps readers current on animal issues and showcases innovations and successes in animal welfare. She's also an expert in special needs boarding. Um, In her daytime job, she's the president and CEO of Media Intelligence in Canada where she's been the leading provider of strategic recruitment and cutting edge career resources for professionals in the Canadian media and entertainment sectors. She's also the author of the book, Careers AF. Michelle Nadone, welcome to Pecare Rockstars.
0: Thanks so very much, Dave, it's great to be here.
1: Hey, glad to have you. Um, I, I could go on and on about your accomplishments, but why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself?
0: Um, okay, sure. Thank you. Um, uh, I, I am a busy woman. I will admit to that much. Um, I, uh, I think uh, primarily I come from a long line of nurses, actually. So the rescue piece of me is kind of front and center. <clears throat> I have been um, rescuing domestic farm animals and wildlife for 20, 25 years, well, probably all of my life, but seriously for the last 20 years. Um, I did go out and get my veterinary assisting credentials about five years ago. Uh, to be able to uh, uh, add to or be as a value add to the special needs pet boarding services that I offer and um, I also on the side when I have spare time I study immunology and functional medicine very deeply so, um, so those are some of the attributes that I bring to the uh, special needs community and uh, the rescue community in general. <clears throat> now that being said Um, What we're going to discuss today probably is centered around mostly special needs care and handling for domestic pets. And I just want to include a disclaimer that uh, none of the information that you're going to be given today uh, can be taken as veterinary uh, advice in any way, shape or form. It's just my experiential portfolio. And of course, anything, any tips and advice that we offer up uh, should always be cleared with your veterinarian first.
1: Awesome. And thanks for that disclaimer. You know, we are definitely going to talk a lot about the special needs uh, boarding, uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about the rescue, because I think it's a really fascinating story on how you got started in rescue and how it really eventually involved or or evolved. So tell me a little bit about that. Well,
0: I really did not um, intend for my life to go this way. (laughs) I uh, I had a beautiful, beautiful dog, my very first dog that was my own uh, in my early 30s. <clears throat> and somewhere in that first six or seven years of his life, uh, we discovered another local dog who was uh, a German Shepherd who was kept outdoors uh, all all year round and sorely neglected. And so we made friends with the German Shepherd and uh, we were always over visiting and what have you. And then um, years later, um, the dog got extremely sick. His family wasn't... Uh, Uh, blessed with uh, observational powers they didn't I mean they loved their dog yes um, but they didn't do regular vetting or anything like that so anyway I realized just how sick Max was I uh, begged them to allow me to bring him to a veterinarian Um, they did allow me to do that and when I got him there he was diagnosed with an eight-inch spleen tumor which I obviously never dealt with um so i brought the dog back to his family i explained to them what was going to go on because the veterinarian told me what trajectory a spleen tumor actually takes and it's not nice um and the family actually they just they weren't capable of the care and i said why don't you just turn him over to me and they did they handed me his collar and said enjoy your new dog so i brought him home and uh he was supposed to live uh two to 12 weeks but he actually lived five months and i died in my arms on my kitchen floor he's a beautiful dog And then so that story kind of catapulted me from um, a local crazy woman to a local hero. And word started getting around and the rescue community started seeking me out uh, to help them with other palliative dogs. And then for the next decade, I did a whole series of um, um, palliative and geriatric animals and I... You know, got experienced with every kind of you know everything from congestive heart to spleen tumors to brain tumors to failing limbs, uh, all of it. So that's kind of how my experience became what it was or what it is.
1: Now, your experience isn't just Canada. You uh, also were responsible for, uh, along with other rescue organizations, saving over 800 animals in during Hurricane Katrina, um, which you know, for people that have only seen that on the news, um, give us a firsthand account of, you know, not only the devastation, but what kinds of efforts are needed to kind of scale a rescue operation like this?
0: Um, <clears throat> well, the, um, when I decided to go to, to organize some rescue groups to go down from Canada to Hurricane Katrina, um, I had just lost both of my shepherds uh, Cyril and Missy in a five-week period, and I was in a terribly emotional uh, black hole over their loss. Um, so I decided to go to Hurricane Katrina in their honor. And you know, it, everybody always thinks that there's a process involved, like there really isn't. You know, I put a call out to or I put an email out to about 50 friends saying, I'm going to Katrina, I need a second driver, I need supplies, I need this, I need that, please help me. And um uh, Cambridge and District uh, Humane Society, Bonnie Deacon, bless her soul, um, signed on to let us travel under their auspices. So uh, we just headed down. Now, um, the 800 dogs actually were, uh, it was, eight, there was a compound um, in Tylertown, just north of uh, NOLA, where they had 800 rescue dogs. We didn't bring home 800. Um, we brought home uh, over three runs. I think the total was uh, 60 But um, it was a phenomenal experience. And uh, what I remember so vividly was uh, one night the coyotes were out on the hill and they were all uh, singing and uh, all 800 dogs in the camp started singing with the coyotes. You'd never heard anything like it in your life. It was just beautiful. And when I got there, I was so pleased. They asked me, you know, what do you want to do while you're here? And I'm like, I'll do anything, like just assign me. And they said, no, no, what do you want to do? And I thought about it, and I said, "Oh my God, I would really like to be take. I would like to be in post op if I can." And they said, "Absolutely." So they put a cot down in post op, and that's where I spent the next twelve nights, um, twelve days and nights sleeping and uh, working around the clock with the animals there.
1: Well, wow, that's amazing. And you said you did bring some of them back, but hopefully they've all had found homes or.
0: Oh yes, they they all found the most beautiful homes. It was a great operation. And uh, at least one of them is um, still alive, because this is a number of years later. Uh, one of them is still alive, Francis, uh, the little uh, rat bone terrier. I was out to see him just last year. He's uh, 13 now and he's uh, still thriving.
1: Oh, wow, that's great. Um, so what sort of situations do you encounter with rescue in Canada relative to other areas? And do you think there's a different mindset? in Canada versus pet owners, maybe in the rest of the world, in the United States or other places?
0: There there are distinctions that I can make between the United States and Canada. Um, Canada is a little bit more empathetic, a little bit more uh, forthcoming <clears throat> with their care and handling of domestic animals. Um, but, um, but, you know, the whole area, it, it's so... Everybody who goes out and adopts a dog, unless you've had dog experience in, in, in your, you know, growing up with dogs or something, everybody learns the hard way with their dogs. Like there's no rule book. And so one of the things that I've tried so hard to do in rescue is just, you know, provide the information to people. So when you ask, you know, what are the natures of the nature of the calls that I get over here? You know, I had a gentleman yesterday who wanted to surrender his dog. Um Uh, He doesn't know the fact that, you know, there are high kill shelters, there are low kill shelters, and there are no kill shelters. He isn't aware of that. Um, He wants a rescue to take on his dog. but And why is he getting rid of his dog? Because his dog's peeing all over his house. Well, I said, obviously, you haven't neutered your dog. Why? You know? Well, I can't afford it. I said, have you heard of GoFundMe? Right? Have you heard of passing the hat around your family? Right? I said, no rescue organization is going to take your problem dog unneutered it's just we can't do it there's too many animals out there now I get other I get other you know calls day in day out I get a raccoon in a, in a garbage bin uh, down at the local dispensary here and nobody knows enough to get a ladder open the lid and put the ladder in and let him climb out you know <laughs> and, uh, or uh, I got to pick a raccoon out of a creek he's stuck under a rock um you know I got an injured squirrel I got um uh, um i've got uh, a, a cat sitting on someone's lawn in the middle of broad daylight uh she looks pregnant she's clearly asking for help if she wasn't pregnant she was completely full of cancer and had to be euthanized obviously she was dumped by her family so you know this the the the, the situation over here is just uh, i get calls for absolutely everything animal wise
1: well and and you brought up one point um and, and actually in a couple situations you referenced it where pet owners one of the reasons they surrender their pets is because they can't afford to take care of them, mm. especially when a veterinary bill comes up. So with rescue, um, clearly this is an issue because you're taking on, you know, these dogs with special needs and there's a lot of expense that goes on with that. Um, it, you know, what types of things do you do to kind of make sure, Hey, wait, we we can afford to do this yet, you know, be able to afford it and afford the care that these mm. dogs need?
0: Well, you know, the the beauty of um, the rescue community in Canada, uh, because uh, certainly I'm not alone and I'm not special. Um, I can name you 200 people just like me. They don't have the scope of the work that I do, uh, but they're they're in it for life uh, 24-7 working for animals. Uh, they're paying all these funds out of their own pockets. So, um, so th- the beauty of our community is that we've now... Thanks to Hurricane Katrina, actually, um, that was when it all started. With all the rescues tending to work together, so you know, if I've got a resource that another rescue doesn't have, you know, I'll chip in there. Or you know, like right now, you know, I'm 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 fostering two small dogs. Um, and, uh, the rescue is taking, uh, the rescue is doing all of their veterinary buildings. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just, we all work together and somehow we make it work. And like I said, you know, at worst comes to worst, go out there and ask for, you know, set up a GoFundMe campaign or just get out there and say, Hey, you know, on Facebook, I really need help with my vet bill. Can anyone donate? Um, and they do. I had that with my shepherd, uh, two weeks ago. She's taken a very bad turn and, um, temporary turn. And um, I was very hard pressed to deal with the bills. And I just went out to my community and just said, hey, anyone who's got like an extra, you know, 20, 50 bucks, can you just send it over? And several of them did. And it really took the brunt off the payment. So other people can do that, too. They just don't think to do that for their animals.
1: Yeah. And there's probably a pride factor as well, having to say, hey, I need I need financial help. You know, I think a lot of people don't want to beg for money, for lack of a better term. There's a pride factor,
0: but there's also a common sense factor that's missing.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, so, you know, one of the other things that you specialize in is the boarding of special needs pets. And, um, you know, and we talked about that at the top of the show. Um, this is definitely a passion of yours. And how did this start, you know, relative to the rescue and you know, what, would you consider special needs for those? Oh, yeah.
0: no. <laughs> um, okay, so first of all, um, special needs animals are uh, geriatric. Uh, they are uh, very often uh, palliative. They will, um, or special needs could be, they have specific medical handicaps like vision loss or hearing loss. Um, they could be paralyzed, they could be incontinent, uh, they could be insulin dependent. Um, that's kind of the broad scope of, uh, the special needs that I, that I work with here and how did it happen? It was really kind of, um, interesting. I was in Toronto, um, living on Bathurst street, uh, with my three-legged 80 pound, uh, shepherd cross named Stormy. Um, he uh, was suffering from the loss of his right front limb, 80 pound dog. You can picture the barrel chest on him. Uh, everybody in the neighborhood carried in about him up and down the stairs uh, at least once in their life, um, three times a day. And uh, so um, so I, I was very tired of Toronto. Um, Stormy ended up injuring his only good front left leg. And I was so disheartened. I thought, that's it. I'm moving. I'm moving out of the city. I can't take it anymore. So I found, just by complete miracle, I found this little home that I was ultimately able to afford. And the first night I moved in here, um, I had a little terrier Who was with me for a very short year um and i was thinking to myself how am i ever going to handle this financially then i had like this thunderbolt and i just thought wow this place is perfectly set up for boarding why don't I just do that on the side with my own business just to make sure the mortgage gets paid? so that was how it started and really it's it's been it's been fantastic because nobody does special needs boarding and and a lot of kennels will actually not take your dog if they're over nine years of age because they're afraid of the liability. so I'm not afraid of the liability. I mean screen my dogs um so it's it's turned into a very very um, positive aspect of my life. I mean, you'd never know. I've got three of them here right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. They're all very quiet, you know, un- unlike my dogs. Uh, so, um, what sort of equipment or things do you need to do boarding for special needs, you know, with where yes. you're at?
0: Um, I, uh, I have it all. I have <clears throat> special harnesses. I have leashes and harnesses for all the animals. I have a full pantry uh, in my office here with everything from pee pads to various medications to catnip to syringes to blankets and uh, coats and um, uh, grooming materials, uh, several veterinary books. Um, I also have a red laser, um, red laser treatment pad here. Um, I have yoga mats on the floors for attraction for the animals. I have elevated bowls. Uh, I'm a big fan of safety first, so, um, you know, the, the fences are checked regularly and I've got to make sure I got no jumpers. Um, so, you know, there's rather a lot of equipment, I have to say. And I, <laughs> and I also, oh, please, let me mention this. For anybody out there who's really, you know, wants to do rescue and really doesn't know what they're doing yet, at some point or another, you're going to have a problem with an animal. Keep a go bag in your car, you know, keep, uh, keep a heavy set of gloves Keep a, um, a set of uh, um, heavy duty uh, safety glasses, you know. Have a couple of leashes so you can noose a dog if you need to noose a dog. Uh, have a towel so you can pick up a bird or a turtle. Um, there's always, I always have a go bag in the car just in case because I know animals, you know, I'm going to find them. They're, they're going to find me, right? So, yes, there's a lot of equipment involved.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you, that is great advice for any pet professional that relies on their car. Um, because yeah, you never know what will happen. Uh, you know, pet sitters, you know, dog walkers, you know, and the like pet taxi. I mean, these are all things where, you know, something like that could apply as well. Mm -hmm. And always
0: have a bird box in the car.
1: Absolutely. So, um, so what, what sort of, you know, when you went into this, I mean, what sort of qualifications, skill sets do you think someone needs to kind of take this on? Um, because I'm sure there's, you know, um, it, it's a unique skill set that you would probably have to have to do special needs boarding versus, hey, I'm just going to do a kennel or do a boarding facility.
0: Yeah, I honestly don't recommend it for anybody, to be perfectly honest. Um, the, uh, the the risks are great and you are um, in charge of a little soul's well-being. Um, You need to know what you're doing. So at the very least, you need to, you know, have veterinary assisting or veterinary technician credentials, I would say. Um, And I would also say that uh, I would also highly recommend that you at least have um, some kind of experiential portfolio in rescue. uh, Because, you know, I've said for a long time now, and it's only because I've got the luxury of 20 years, I started out with nothing as well. But um, uh, anyone who doesn't have any who has any less than 10 years uh, in rescue, I say don't touch it with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> there's, now, there's too much to learn
1: yeah it, it seems like a lot, I mean, even for me, who's dealt with animals for many, many years, and you know we we have had to, to deal with the occasional special needs pet um it it can be overwhelming, no doubt um so it, you know, in terms of you said you've been doing this for quite some time, how did this business start to blossom and grow, and, and what things did you do to kind of promote that hey, you know? For special needs, I'm, you know, I'm the person, you know, for your pet.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I have a very extensive portfolio working within uh, the Canadian media at at the executive level. So um, I have a tremendous amount of uh, marketing strengths and social media strengths. And uh, I know how to position things properly. I I write like there's no tomorrow. So uh, writing copy is not difficult for me. Um, Finding audiences uh, harvesting those audiences, aggregating those audiences—that's all stuff that comes to me like in my sleep. You know, I just use all my professional skills from my day job and apply them to my day, my night's job. Well, my my rescue job. But <laughs> um, but, uh, but you do need you know you do need to have marketing pieces, and you need to understand who your audience is, and then you have to reach the audience. So here's the trick. You got to reach the audience with the most compelling story possible about that animal, because unless it's a compelling story, people, it's not going to resonate with people and they're not going to jump in and help. So you can't just say, I lost my dog. Call this number if you see him. OK, like that's forget it like that just in one ear and out the other with people. But if you write up the dog's story and tell the who, what, when, where, and why, okay, give full contact information, get a JPEG beauty shot into that post, well, now you're starting to cook with a little bit more gas, right?
1: Yeah. And I think that is an area where I think a lot of pet professionals kind of suffer from because, you know, they may not, you know, they may either have writer's block or quite frankly time management, (laughs) you know, you know, being able to write up a blog post or, you know, do something like that where, um, you know, I think there are definitely some challenges there, um, for someone that doesn't have that type of experience, but, uh, but it is something that's critical. Um, because I think anytime you go into a business, you know, whether it's related to pets or not, you, you know, most people focus on the core aspect of the business and not, hey, how am I going to promote it to make it grow? And um, I I think that's something that, you know, you you bring up some great points on how you've been able to do that. Um,
0: Any pet business actually, um, well, forgive me, any business, let alone a pet business, takes an approximate five years to establish. So just start and then, you know, create one success and then build from there.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I would say that's probably about how long it took for us to grow our initial business. You know, we we saw, you know, kind of an uptick probably in the third year and then probably year five was kind of like, you know, the doors blew off, you know, which, uh, you, you know, it does take time. And that's why I, I think in any business or any pet related business, you know, there is a lot of turnover because people do kind of give up uh, before kind of hitting that point where, you um, that they've really, you know, grown and matured that business. Um, so getting back to the special needs aspects, you know, we talked a lot about the physical needs um, of a special needs pet. What about the emotional issues um, that kind of come along with some of these physical ailments <clears throat> that they might have?
0: Well, let me make an analogy with humans, okay? <clears throat> I'm not going to exclude myself. Absolutely every being on earth has emotions and has problems and has different psychology and has different socialization, okay? Uh, We all bring our own unique package to the table, all right? Same deal with the animals, okay? Every last one that comes through this door has a kind of personality profile unique to that dog. And so my challenge is to figure out where the problems are, if any, on an emotional level with a dog, and then, um, and then deal with them accordingly. Or if I've just got a happy-go-lucky dog, then that's great. He can't walk, but he's happy-go-lucky. Well, then that's fine too. Um, but they all have a personality profile. And I pride myself on giving them, let's see when they get here, you know, I don't. I don't force them to be anywhere or do anything. Uh, there's dog beds all over the house. They can. There's little cubby holes where they can hang out and hide if they want. I give them absolute autonomy, and then I let them come to me on their terms, not mine. Okay, and that just. You know, it might take. Might take 12 hours. It might take 36 hours. And some one dog took 10 days. But eventually. They relax and they feel safe enough that they will come to me, and then we can start the, the sort of what I call the happy process. Now they've been, in, you know, first you have to induct them or introduce them to the property and all that stuff, and then now we can actually enrich their lives and make them happy once I've got them settled. But again, they all have individual personalities, and I urge everyone to study their pets in that regard because they will tell you a heck of a lot if you're if you're just busy listening and watching, uh, listening to them and watching them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where obviously they don't talk, you know, at least uh, not not English. But, you know, there's definitely ways of figuring out, you know, some of the things they may be trying to tell you. Um, So, you know, we mentioned it at the top and it's kind of how you got into rescue. One of the issues that you deal with in the business and I deal with it as well is the eventual death of a pet. That you've taken mm-hmm. care of, um, it, you know, no doubt in dealing with special needs pets, um, you probably deal with this a little more frequently than you know most pet care providers, um, other than maybe say a vet. <laughs> you know, how how do you personally prepare for it emotionally?
0: I don't think you can ever really be prepared for it emotionally. Um, I am no stranger to death. I've dealt with far 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 too much of it, and I do have post traumatic stress as a result thereof. Um, but I also actually have post traumatic growth now, because <clears throat> um, I've dealt with uh, twelve of my own dogs um, that I've had to say goodbye to personally, and then of course with my business, um, I take on geriatric pets all the time. So within a you know two to three to four year window, that little soul that's been coming here regularly for you know uh, weeks on end at any given point um, are um, uh, they're going to die. So. You know it's very distressing. Now, you know what I do is I take my pet's death, and I turn it into I I reinvent my pet. I turn it into something new. So in the case of Cyril and Missy dying in two thousand and five, and me going to Katrina, I went to Katrina in their name. I did it for them. I did it to honor them, and I uh, facilitated for those sixty dogs. Um, uh, in honor of Missy and Cyril. And then, um, when Stormy, my three-legged dog, uh, died, it was unfortunate. He was perfectly sound, perfectly well, except his, his structure of his other arm completely blew. Um, and, um, so Stormy died on March 20th. And then another year or two later, um, another dog turned up in my life and I was told that she was born in the month of March on a certain date. So I gave her Stormy's death date as her new, rescue and birthday so I'm always reinventing and so and when uh when Stella arrived I had just lost Trixie Lou and so I called uh, Stella came with the name Stella so then I I changed her name to Stella Luella so there's always a little tie-in from one to the other um that kind of makes the whole thing kind of a, a much bigger picture you know and then the reinvention piece is um when you do lose your pet you know first of all write your write your pet a letter a letter okay on letters to pushkin.com it's a fantastically cathartic exercise and uh, there's um a model for grief out there where you a new model for grief where you have to first accept what's happened um, you have to process psychologically what's happened you need to adjust uh, these things all take time, and then there's the reinvention piece, and it's the reinvention piece that makes you actually uh, come to terms with your pet's death at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I think that reinvention piece is something uh, that I, I find fascinating because I, I, you do kind of connect these pets together as, you know, really, you know, make them so much more of a part of your life, and they still continue even bu- – beyond their death, um, you know, and, and that's something, I mean, a lot of times with pet owners, I know there's sometimes an inclination to just, oh, this dog passed away, let's go out, get another pet. But, you know, that's probably not a good idea, you know, for, for a lot of reasons, right?
0: It's definitely not a good idea. You need time, you need time to process that loss. Um, and I mean, I, I, I was, uh, uh, I fell subject to this myself, um, Cyril was, uh, the dog of my dreams. We lived together for, uh, 14 years, two months and 10 days. He was, uh, absolutely brilliant. Um, he was so brilliant. Um, I taught him American Sign Language when he went deaf, right? Um, that's how smart he was. He was just in a class of his own. And then, uh, you know, then, you know, Missy came and she died. And then, you know, the other ones kept coming and And I realized all along that, you know, I had such a beautiful, bonded relationship with Cyril um I always thought I would get it in the other dogs and I never got that back I got 13 other different dogs but never that one and so and but I find that people go out looking to replace that dog and it's not the same relationship it's not the same history not the same personality not the same physiology everything is different and people are very often not prepared uh for that
1: no I think it would be like trying to replace someone in a relationship <laughs> you know you, you you try and make them like you know that other person or in this case that other dog and uh, yeah it's generally going to end up in disappointment so yeah
0: would, hello, hello rebound
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so um so one area and that kind of intersects with your daytime life and it's funny because you mentioned about time and i'm like how does she even have time? But uh, one area where, you know, this intersects with your daytime life is that you have a six point tip sheet for media professionals that help with the way animals are represented in the media.
0: Um, Oh, yes, I do. Actually, I forgot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that. And tell me how the media is different, say in Canada, you know, versus the United States, you know, um, if you could.
0: Uh, well, I can't address how the U.S. is, so I'm just going to stick to Canada. Sure. Uh, my uh, my experience is long and broad uh, with traditional uh, Canadian media—television, radio, print—and um, uh, in my daytime job, I have a beautiful, lovely working relationships straight across the industry. Uh, but when it comes to animals, is where I draw the line with Canadian media, and I've fired more than one news team on um, on the subject of animals. Um, we are hopelessly behind as, as a culture, as a society. We are hopelessly behind in our representation of animals. Um, you know, someone on air refers to an animal as an it. It is not an it. It is either a he or a she, okay? Get was 2019 already, right? Um, they only do animal stories on slow news days or, um, you know, the big grandiose, you know, the pit bull stories. Uh, where's the story about the, the, the beagle that ripped a kid's face off? Right. They're not going to cover a yeah. eagle, but they're going to cover a pit or what they think might be a pit. OK, so, you know, I have a lot of complaints, Um, you know, on 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 uh, in, in extreme weather. Hello, climate crisis in extreme weather. Why are you not reminding people to keep your pets indoors? Why on a weekend like this are the newscasters not taking some responsibility when they uh, mention the local fireworks events and just put in a, a small don't? bring your pets to the fireworks, (laughs) right? I mean, come on, media, like really? It's not like you don't know this. So yes, I got frustrated with that at one point and I did put together a six-point thing or an eight-point thing, whatever it was. And because of my proximity and because of my relationships, my existing relationships with Canadian media, I was able to get that into all of the newsrooms and I'm damn glad I did.
1: Have you seen more uh, news outlets reporting on it? not yet okay no. i <laughs> so, was just
0: thinking last week actually that they're due for the reminder piece so i'm going to be sending out a reminder piece um uh somewhere uh between now and probably the end of the year
1: yeah i i mean i think like you said we're recording this uh episode right before fourth of july and the fireworks yeah it it's really a problem and it it amazes me that more pet owners and people don't realize it on their own that they do need to be reminded by the media or Mm -hmm. you know somebody but um getting that word out for that and like you said extreme weather you know walking dogs on sidewalks when it's 90 degrees out um and
0: and and the demonization of animals okay like the representation of the black cats at halloween
1: right all right
0: Or the giving of puppies at Christmas as gifts. Come on, people. In the rescue circles, we don't even allow adoptions over Christmas.
1: Yeah, I mean, because unfortunately, to your point, those Christmas gifts end up (laughs) being rescue dogs by February. And, you know, same thing with, uh, you know, bunnies over Easter. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many examples where, um, you know, better representation can happen. So um, I think it's great that you're putting that out. Um, So one thing you've also done is you've developed a webinar that actually educates people in caring with pets with special needs. I know you said, hey, this is something I don't recommend (laughs) for anybody, but you do have a webinar for it in case, you know, they're not going to heed that advice. So tell us about the webinar and how people can attend it.
0: Um, well, I uh, I had the good fortune of meeting the ladies from um about a year and a half ago at a, some animal event. And um, I was intrigued by the EduK9 piece when I saw their literature. So I picked it up. I had a look at it. I contacted them and I said, like, this is an absolutely fantastic idea. And I wanted to see just how uh, business oriented they actually were and what their what their vision was for Uh, educational product via uh, webinars so um, so we got going we decided to do a special needs one so with their help and their expertise because it was their expertise on the technical end and making it available on the website etc we managed to put together this uh, hour-long webinar for how to handle special needs animals Um, it was great experience I really enjoyed doing it Um, it was extremely well received and actually the girls were back to the ladies rather were back to me just last week Um, saying that it's time for us to do uh, a full video record and make this available full time, like for people to watch, not just at a given seminar time, like by appointment viewing, but have it available for people to purchase and watch, uh, any old time they want so that we can uh, get the product out there, um, to more people for more pets.
1: Yeah, that would be great. Um, and I'll certainly post links to that, um, as well, uh once you have that. So one thing I mentioned at the top of the show is you wrote a careers book. um, So it's only appropriate that you're working on a second book and it's dealing with animal rescue and advocacy. It's easy for me to say, right? It's not like I'm a podcaster or anything. Um, So I know it's still in the planning stages, but what do you want to share and what do you plan on writing about? Um,
0: I'm going to be... Well, you know, all throughout these, because I just, I, I write, I, I, can no, I can no less write than I can no, not breathe. Um, so all throughout all this history, this trajectory of taking care of the animals and doing all the rescue and whatnot, I've kept notes in my computer and it's just, it's just blossomed into, you know, I've got hundreds of pages of anecdotal evidence, uh, what I've seen in my history with all of these animals. And, um, I haven't settled on the title yet, but the working subtitle is going to be if I knew then what I know now. Okay, so it's basically, um, you know, take, for instance, you go to your veterinarian and with your dog who's been having little coughing spells and whatnot. And um, that, you know, examines your animal and sends you home with a diagnosis of congestive heart. All right. So now what do you do with that? Well, you give your dog pills, right, that the vet veterinarian gave you but does the veterinarian tell you that you have like probably anywhere from uh you know uh it could be up to 18 months left with, with your dog uh does the veterinarian tell you how this thing rolls out um do you know that when your dog is sleeping on his face rather than on his side with his legs extended when he's sleeping on his face it's because he can't breathe okay And, you know, they just don't give you the trajectory of the disease. You know, um, I learned with Max that with his spleen tumor, what was going to happen was that the problem with Max was he couldn't get up off the ground. He was just like, he was just done. Like, he was fried. He was exhausted. So when I got him into the vet and we discovered he had an eight-inch spleen tumor, that's a pretty big tumor, okay? Well, what's happening is, is all the blood in his body is in that tumor. So he's got no blood in his body to pump his heart. And that's why he can't stand up so people need to know now it's not going to be a really depressing book in that respect but you know people need to know how these things roll out and I, I know how to write a story and make it appealing even in those circumstances so that's what the book is going to focus on it's going to be based on all the best practices that i've developed and seen and and learned uh throughout these last 20 years uh, dealing with dying animals, and um, I want to share that knowledge so that other people aren't caught flat-footed uh, when their animal gets an egregious diagnosis.
1: Well, I definitely look forward to uh, the book. When do you have a target date on when you think <laughs> you might get around to this? Uh, you know,
0: <laughs> I'm. Uh, I'm okay. So my first book took me thirteen months stem to stern, but that one was a lot more straightforward. Um, this one right now. Uh, I'm struggling with the outline so it's taking more thinking time um because I have this whole sort of longitudinal story with my dog Cyril that I kind of want to be able to tell because I love him so much and I just want to remember him but then I have all these short story formats with all the other animals so it's trying to find a way of of, of crafting the outline so once I have the outline done um I think the book is actually just going to write itself frankly so um I'm thinking probably this time next year, it'll be available.
1: Awesome. So, you know, we've learned a lot about it today and, um, but I'd like to learn something that probably most people don't know about you. Um, so yeah, I don't know if there's anything you can think of off the top of your head that maybe most people don't know about you.
0: Hmm. Um, Well, the first answer that comes to mind um, is, you know, um, why me and why rescue? Um, uh, To which I can only clearly respond, I am that animal. I have been that animal in distress. Um, I have been that abandoned animal. Uh, So that's why I see it so clearly. And I would venture, although I can't speak for my rescue colleagues, but I've said for years and years now that most people... In animal rescue have um, attachment disorders or unmet attachment needs Um, and that is not a slur Uh, that's beautiful because what happens here is uh, we all have a tremendous amount of empathy and uh, the world is a a, um, a really uh, nasty place uh, for the most part uh, amongst humans Um, but you can always count on the unconditional love of an animal so Um, so maybe that's one thing that people don't know about me, but I, I wear my empathy, um, on my sleeve and, um, I encourage everybody else to, because as well, because, um, uh, God knows God's know, um, we, the world desperately needs the empathy.
1: Well, I think that's a great message to, uh, kind of end things on. So where can people connect with you?
0: Uh, the website, um, c4panimalrescue.ca, that's C like Charlie, number four, P is in Peter, animalrescue.ca. Um, you can always contact me through that website and, uh, and or mediaintelligence.ca. Um, I'm always here. I'm always available. I'm pretty much chained to my desk. And um, I never refuse a call. And I always try to uh, resource, people. Doesn't matter what the animal situation, time of day is, whatever. I am here and I'm happy to help.
1: That's great. And we're going to make sure we put all the links uh, that we talked about today up on the website when we post the show. Um, Michelle Nadon, thank you very much for being a part of Peck Care Rockstars today. And we will see everybody later.
0: <laughs> Thanks for the opportunity, Dave. Really
1: appreciate it. Thanks. Okay. Take care. Today's episode was brought to you by the Pet Care Rockstars program. If you're looking to start or grow your pet care business, this program is for you. The Pet Care Rockstars program features downloadable content, including forms, contracts, audio and video tutorials, and much more. In addition, you'll have lifetime access to everything in the Pet Care Rockstars program, along with all future content, which we will be updating on a regular basis. Go to petcarerockstars.com and click on the Become a Pet Care Rockstar Now link at the top of the page. And we'll see you on the next episode of Pet Care Rockstars.
2: This has been Pet Care Rockstars with Dave Westwood. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the show so you'll be first to hear new episodes packed with tips and tools for your pet care business. And visit our website at PetCareRockStars.com to find out about the Pet Care Rockstars program, our all-in-one solution to get you up and running for your pet care business. To join the conversation and access more great content on your favorite social media sites, just search Pet Care Rockstars.